this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, Scheme Month is officially back, and we're happy to kick it off with the Wide Nine. The U.S. Women's National Team should just be the U.S. National Team, because they can beat up on the best teams in the world and don't lose to Mexico's B team. Uh, and with me this week to tell us all about his summer job at Scoops Ahoy, it's David Newman. <laughs> Set sail with us on oh, this man. ocean of flavor. <laughs> This ocean of scheme takes, as ocean, it's about to be. Ocean of flavor. I cannot. That's just fantastic. We've got to, we've got to tattoo that on something. <laughs> ocean of flavor. So, David Newman, I, I do, at, at the top, want to thank you personally. And really, you oh. and your wife for introducing oh, my wife to something that I didn't know we needed in our life. But now is, you didn't. is here, and it is here full force. <laughs> And that is the wondrous television show that is Love Island. It's not great. Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's simultaneously not great and amazing. She, Fair. Like, it, it is, it's, it's everything that you love about Bachelor in Paradise. And, with accents. Yeah, with accents. And on top of that, you don't get any of like the, the skeezy kind of like rapey misogyny that you get from like The Bachelor or Bachelorette. Um, the, the people seem moderately adultish. And you're still never sure if they're drunk all the time or not. It's, I mean, it's great. It's awesome. I, I shit you not. On July 4th, no, July 5th, my wife watched seven and a half straight hours. <laughs> this was her dark cave of film watching. Like, if, it, if there were a PFF for Love Island, she would have devised the grading system <laughs> on July 5th. Uh, it's, it's our life now. I left my wife watching <laughs> Love Island and showed up at your house to your wife watching Love Island. This, this um, is all accurate. I can't escape it. Yeah, I know. But, you know, hey, we're, we're here. We're brothers in arms. We'll deal with it. <laughs> we'll, we'll take fire together when it comes to this show. But oh, man. Let, let's get, typically we do the rundown at this point, but there is literally nothing that happened in the football world. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be full go for training camp. Dope. There was a supplemental draft with a player or two that could have been uh, maybe helpful for the Niners, but the, you know, the, the Cardinals got him instead because, of course, they did. And, and that's about it in terms of rundown. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing happening right yeah. now. So let's jump right into Ski Month because this is uh, probably one of my favorite times of the year for the podcast. We've been doing Ski Month for, oh, man, I think it started, it started like in year three of Harbaugh or year two because we did a Ski Month. Did we do a Ski Month Whoa. on the option stuff? I don't know. I, it was no. It was either the last year. It was. I feel like it was either the last year of Harbaugh or it yeah. was the first year of Tom Sula. Yeah. E- either way, the, the, the only the, year. The, of Tom the, Sula. the only year. The the scheme month whole thing started because we kept getting new coaches, and yes. we thought we would break down all of the new offensive concepts that were being brought to the Niners, supposedly. Uh, in the case of some offensive systems, you know, th- there wasn't a whole lot that was brought. But a lot of practice with that for a while. Exactly. Um, but eventually, as we got stability with coaching, it turned into just looking into schematic wrinkles that we thought would be interesting. Uh, and then ultimately now it's kind of grown into just schematic things that we're interested in as they pertain to the Niners or as they pertain to football as a whole. Um, basically, it's our opportunity to learn about the things that we wanted to learn about and then share those things with you. Uh, And so that's what this next month is going to be all about. And we're going to start with the wide nine because it's been one of the concepts that the Niners have talked about. that has been most talked about when referenced to the Niners. And we know that we've got lots of people who are wondering exactly what it is, how it's going to help, if it's going to help, or really what the big deal is. And so that's what this show is going to be all about, man. The wide nine. Let's do it. Let's do it. So let's start first with the, the origins of the wide nine. And as with anything... It doesn't, there's no, I guess there's a couple of original ideas in football, but they all stem from something that, and some place before, and we're only going to go far about as far back as the nineties. Uh, that's about as far back as we need to go. I like it. Um, but the nineties brought us a lot of really interesting stuff. Uh, they brought us my mosquito, my libido, uh, and all manner of, of different things. Still don't know (laughs) what that song actually means. It's just really good. No, that no, I doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's supposed to. Um, but it also brought us the movie The Program in 1993. Do you remember this movie with James Caan, Halle Berry, uh, Omar Epps? I don't know that I've ever watched this. Oh TBH. man, I've got the DVD in my garage. I have nothing to play that with. Oh, get out of here! I saw that Super Drive next to your iMac. 
Oh shit! I forgot about that. Yeah, buddy. Not I'm, just for rich, ripping coaching DVDs. <laughs> Turns out, I guess I could actually watch something. I'm that. going to send you home with the DVD for the program, and uh, your homework. Uh, surely, will be to watch surely this. it's got to be available on the internet. Oh, I'm sure somewhere. it is. Um, but it, trust me, it will add to the nostalgia to watch it on DVD. <laughs> you just uh, have to really squint at it, like that. Really makes that extra oh, yeah. bit of authenticity, you know? But this movie was all about, basically it was about a college program that had to deal with like steroid use and abuse of women and like just jock culture in general. And it was very, very thinly veiled as Florida State at this point. <laughs> um, and, and so I used to love that movie when I was younger. <laughs> it was so terrible. So dumb when you're a kid. Oh, I know. Absolutely stupid. But the, the connection here is that the Florida State defense is actually where some of the concepts of the wide nine began to become popular because Mickey Andrews, who was a Florida State defensive coordinator from 1984 to 2001, he used to install something called the jet technique with his defenses in the 90s. And the jet, te- the jet technique is indeed the nine technique where you basically see the, the defensive end lined outside the shade of the outside shoulder of the tight end and he angles them in and everything. And I went through his playbook and he's got stunts front of the interior guys he lets his outside players rush he talks about bubble like make, making sure that things are covered I you mean, went deep oh deep man going for a for a, like what 1990s late 1980s florida state playbook i watched some miami t- miami florida state games uh i watched oh yeah i can't but like when you sent me that message i was like oh like the dolphins yeah. <laughs> uh like from recently no okay. but it was really interesting to see how in the 90s this starts to at least on one side take hold now what Mickey Andrews didn't do was he didn't often put both of his defensive ends in nine technique in more base situations, but it, it starts becoming a popular and successful thing, at least kind of more mainstream around that 90s time. But then it's in 1999 when we get to the Tennessee Titans. And that's when a young Jim Washburn, a defensive line coach for the Titans, he's got a problem. Quite simply, he thought the team wasn't producing enough sacks. So he heads over to his defensive quality control coach, who is a name you know, Jim Schwartz. And he says, and this is a direct quote, from Washburn, he says, hold on a second. We've got eight guys to defend eight gaps. Why can't one of my guys' gaps be the edge? Be the nine technique. Let all you other assholes cover those other gaps. Why can't I have that one? Schwartz replies, well, you can. <laughs> and Washburn, well, why don't you draw that up for me? My favorite thing is that Greg with 17 G's was the defensive coordinator at this time. Oh yeah. And they brought it to him and he's basically like, get that shit out of my face. Yeah. Greg Williams. Um, Surprise. Not the most open-minded dude out there. No, I can't imagine. Not unless we're talking about angels. He believes in angels, specifically angel safeties. Uh, But the Titans didn't really use that new alignment in 1999, but Schwartz and Washburn began evolving this. They began developing this concept And Jim Schwartz eventually moves up through the Titans organization. He goes from quality control coach. He moves all the way up to defensive coordinator uh, after being a linebackers coach. And finally, when he's a defensive coordinator, he's faced with a task. He's faced with the task of stopping Peyton Manning and their stretch run play with Edger and James. And side note, I kind of forgot how fun Edger and James was to watch, by the way. Oh, my God. That dude was so good. Oh, man. I I mean, I watched the Miami game where he was still in college and he, he was fast and huge and awesome. Uh, and then when he played for the Colts too, I mean, he was really good for yeah. the initial kind of, you know, four or five years of his career before he kind you of forget, They around. traded away a Marshall Falk and like got this guy and were like happy with that. And he got drafted went. ahead yeah. of Ricky Williams. Yeah. And back then a lot of people were like, oh, what'd you do? And then, you know. Or no, after. Rick, didn't Saints give oh, up like right. everything for Ricky to go number one, it right? Was, so. It was the dress. Uh, <laughs> that's what the Dick ESPN got- the magazine. Yeah. Um, but the, basically this was the, the situation that Jim Schwartz was presented with. And so his way of actually stopping the stretch run that Peyton Manning built his offense off of was to use that nine technique was to put someone way out there on the edge to set the edge. And that's when Schwartz initially brings us into the NFL. And then it begins to kind of grow from there, which is always kind of funny because, you know, you think. That was the initial thing that Greg Williams said, right? This is a pass rush front. And that's what everybody thinks of initially is like, oh, this is, and that's kind of what it's grown into, right? Is, is this idea of wanting to be more focused on rushing the passer, but actually like initially, at least at the NFL level, largely stemmed from wanting to uh, find something to work against, you know, zone run game uh, with the Colts. So it's, it's, it's always funny when you dig back, like in, and kind of see how this stuff evolved. Like it rarely comes from the place that you expected it to come. Yeah. 
And so it begins to spread throughout the kind of Schwartz tree over the course of the, over the NFL over the next several years. Schwartz takes the alignment to the Lions from 2009 to 2013. And in 2009, Jim Schwartz calls a former Tennessee defensive end uh, and offers him a coaching gig. And that defensive end is Chris Kosurik. And by 2010, Chris Kosurik assumes the defensive line coach duties and gets a pretty good season out of the Lions defensive line. Overall, if you look at their PFF pass rush grade for that year, they had the third overall pass rush grade. This is where Kosurik begins to, I mean, he was a player at Tennessee and he played for Jim Washburn, learned some of that nine technique there, becomes a coach for Jim Schwartz. Uh, and then eventually it spreads a little bit farther. You get to 2011, the Eagles and Juan Castillo, the offensive line coach turned defensive coordinator that is still <laughs> maybe a boogeyman in Philadelphia. But Jim Washburn is the defensive line coach for Juan Castillo in Philadelphia. And so they employ the wide nine. And in 2011, they lead the league in sacks. They've got players like Jason Babin, who ended up with 18 sacks, Trent Cole, uh, who ended up with 11. Uh, and then 2014, you've got Jimmy Schwartz as a defensive coordinator. They end up having a pretty good year as well. And in 2016, Jim Schwartz goes to the Eagles. And by this time, Chris Kosurik has made his way all the way around to the San Francisco 49ers. And so the, the nine technique really from NFL coaching circles, at least in terms of the, the people who adhere to, hit are gonna adhere to it, are going to be Washburn, Schwartz, and now Kosurik. And they all come from that Tennessee kind of line where this really began to take hold in the NFL. Okay, so I think the, the most important thing, right, the, the place that we want to start this conversation is just talking about well, what the hell is the wide nine, right? Let's, let's get a definition out there for it. Let's talk about what it is, maybe some of the things that it isn't, um, and, and kind of build from there. So the very first thing that you need to know is that it's not a defense. It's not, there's, there's no such thing as the wide nine defense. It's not a scheme. Um, it is simply a technique, right, is, is the most that you're going to get from. So the wide nine refers to the alignment of the defensive ends. And so um, without getting into every specific alignment that you can get to, generally speaking, you know, it, you, you have a specific number alignment that relates to where you're at relative to the offensive line. So the most famous one's going to be the three technique. That's the one yeah. everyone seems to be the most familiar with. And that's just the technique, right? You don't say, oh, we play a three technique defense. Exactly. You just have a three technique. And so with that, you've got typically even numbers that get you head up on offensive linemen, and then odd numbers typically get you to outside shade. So nine being an odd number, outside shade of the tight end. And so that's really all it is, is it's making sure that you have a defensive end that's wide outside of where the tight end would be aligned. And even if you don't have a tight end to that side, it's still, you just kind of go roughly where you would be had there been a tight end to your side of the field. So uh, it's the same spot on there. So you don't have to necessarily have that player there available to actually play a nine. It's just more about the distance between you and, and kind of the tackle at that point. So that's all it is. It's an alignment. It's an adjustment that you're choosing to make um, by typically bumping out what, what's a more standard alignment from your defensive end and getting him wider on the field. And whether or not you can have a nine technique uh, without a tight end is probably why people like Mickey Andrews didn't play both of their ends out wide, right? It's because he's going to have a nine technique outside of the tight end, but he's not going to open up a super wide gap on the other side. He's still going to keep his gaps maintained, at least in the 90s. That was probably more prevalent. prevalent. But now you get to a game where passing becomes king and you do begin to emphasize the ability for that defensive end to create space and get to the quarterback. And that's when you start seeing teams play with playing both of their defensive ends or both end men on the line of scrimmage at the nine technique, even if there is no tight end. So when you get to the type of personnel that you see employed for this technique over the shorts line with Jim Washburn, you're usually going to see fast, agile, and bendy edge players that are going to succeed with this technique. You can imagine you want them to be fast, right? If you're going to put them a little farther away from the quarterback, you don't want them to be lumbering or slow because all you're doing is increasing the amount of time that it takes for them to get to the quarterback. That's not a good thing. So you want them to be fast. You want them to have agility because you want them to be better athletes than the offensive linemen they're going up against. And you want them to be able to bend around and get around the tackle just like you would any edge player. So I would say it's probably not terribly different from just like what you want out of an edge player. Right. But, but I would say there's probably a little bit more emphasis on speed and agility. Yeah, and and I think it's also important. Like you're, th these aren't necessarily undersized guys, right? So it's it's a little bit different than, you know. I think like 
the the Leo position in what you know the 49ers have been doing in kind of that Seattle scheme before uh has historically been a little bit more of an undersized guy um at least as far as like Schwartz and and kind of all of his guys um what they have looked for at that position you're not quite going as big as like a player like say Eric Armstead playing you know big end for for the 49ers but uh, it, it can't be like a 240 pound player out there as well. Right. Because again, a lot of this came from wanting to be able to, uh, have somebody who can keep outside contain in the run game and really kind of set that hard edge in the run game and force things back inside. So if you stick a 235, 245 pound player out there, that tackle is going to take advantage of the space you're already giving him by the alignment He's just going to throw that dude wider, right? And you're creating some big gaps uh, in, in the run game for teams to run through. And so uh, you need somebody who has at least enough bulk and power to be able to hold up and set that edge in the run game as well. Now, the other thing that this does is it typically it creates an adjustment to the linebackers. And this is something that we've talked about a little bit before, but noting it specifically here because it is going to change the 49ers linebackers alignment because you create a bubble in between a couple of gaps. Now, what the hell is a bubble? A bubble is basically just a space that a linebacker is going to fill. Um, and so when you create a big bubble, you put a little bit more stress on the linebacker and you're, you're basically changing the alignment by putting a defensive end out that wide because now, instead of your Sam linebacker being that big set-the-edge guy that's going to be out on the end of the line of scrimmage, you actually take him off the ball and you have him fill that gap that is created by putting someone out there and widening this gap even larger. So you're going to see what is basically like the, the linebackers stacked behind that defensive line if the defensive line is employing the nine technique so that all of their gaps can be accounted for. Because when you're looking at any defense, they want to be sound. And one of the ways they always ensure that a defense is sound is by making sure they have coverage for every single one of their gaps. Definitely. And so it's it's... Not you're still able. I think the the important thing is is you're still running or can run right the same fronts that you've been running before. So things that we've talked about in the past or that you may have heard heard before if you haven't listened to previous scheme month stuff where we've talked about this. But you know, like your over front that's a very common standard front in the NFL. Like you're still doing that. Um, the difference is now kind of the gaps that are adjacent to your defensive ends there's a tendency for that gap to widen a little bit because of the extra space it's created. And so the linebacker who is now then responsible for that gap has a little bit more ground to cover, right? So it can make uh, potentially his job a little bit more difficult. You know, uh, there's certainly ways to counteract that. And we'll kind of talk about some different things over the course of the episode, but that's kind of the the main thing that you're looking at from the linebacker standpoint. It doesn't really change their responsibility. It just makes or can make their job a little bit more difficult. And so if you're thinking, okay, under front, over front, I always used to get confused about these as well. The under front and over front are determined by where the three technique is. And so if the three technique is over to the strong side, it's an over front. And if the three technique is to the weak side, well, then it's an under front. Um, and oftentimes the strong side is sometimes called as the closed side and the weak side is the open side. So that's some of the terminology you'll hear thrown around over, under, open side, close side. The three technique is what determines that. You can still do all of that stuff and have a nine technique out wide that then is going to help you get some advantages and maybe create some disadvantages. But ultimately, while Jim Schwartz probably started this defense as a way to stop that outside zone, and it still can be effective in doing things like that, it really has evolved since then into a pass rushing alignment that is going to help your ends get to the quarterback, hopefully uh, a little bit more effectively. Right. So let's get to the impact of this new alignment, what to expect and how this impacts the Niners specifically. But before we do that, let's take a brief break to hear from our sponsors. All right, David, first question is whether or not the 49ers are suited to run this technique, to run this based on current personnel. How does it differ from the fronts the 49ers play currently? Because at least from media coverage so far, it feels a lot like this is going to be some kind of big sweeping change and it's something that the Niners are maybe only primed to run because of the talent they've added in this past offseason. Well, spoiler alert, it's not that big of a change. I, I think the place to start, right, is what 
most people kind of largely thought they were running a lot of to begin with, right? Once you, uh, you know, obviously had the new scheme that, that came in from Seattle there. So the kind of base scheme, base front that that's based on, right? The, the stuff that Pete Carroll's been doing for a long time is based on under front. And so the way that they run that ends up looking a lot like a 3-4 type alignment, but with 4-3 personnel, essentially. So you're getting... Uh, your weak side defensive end that's out wide, right? And your three technique as well, uh, what DeForest Buckner's been playing um, to the weak side. And then on the strong side, you've got an end that's usually aligned head up on the tackle. And then you've got the Sam linebacker, strong side linebacker that's walked up on the line of scrimmage outside of him, right? So you end up with essentially five guys along the line of scrimmage and then two backers off the ball. So that's kind of what I guess this scheme is based on now, the 49ers haven't been actually running as much of that as I think a lot of people would think, right? So they, they've already been at a relatively even balance between that under front look and an over front look, which is going to typically get that third linebacker, that Sam linebacker then is going to come off the ball. You end up with a more typical four-man look, three linebackers off the ball when you're in your base defense there. So that's kind of what most people think of when they think 4-3. Um, they've already been doing a decent amount of that. So really, I think, yeah, they, it's not a huge change from what they've been doing, but certainly the personnel that they have and the amount of resources that they've invested on the defensive line, both you know just this offseason, but also in previous drafts with all the interior players that they've got, um, I think that does, you know, when you have talented players, you're set up to do just about anything you want. And so I think, yeah, this absolutely can fit what they have. I do think the talent they added this offseason is going to help them do anything in the passing game a bit more effectively. So whether that is going to be the nine technique, whether that's going to be, even if they were to just keep things the same, they were going to be a little bit better at pass rushing because they got Bosa and they got D Ford. Yeah. And especially when you have a player like D Ford, creating space is a really good thing. Because what you can do with that nine technique is you can begin to dictate a little bit of the blocking assignments. And when you have someone like D Ford who is fast off the line, then you have the personnel to be able to take advantage of an alignment like the nine technique because you can begin to dictate some of those one-on-one matchups by spreading that side of the line out, especially if it's going to be on the weak side. And so you can basically isolate Ford and Buckner on one side of the line and give them a lot of space to work and ultimately, especially when you've got talented players on the defensive line like that, that can end up being pretty good for your defense. Definitely. So I think, yeah, right. I think the important thing to mention is that no defense, no scheme, no technique, like anything that you're doing is perfect, right? Otherwise, everybody would run it. So you're always having to kind of choose like, all right, what does this do well? And then what does it kind of leave me more vulnerable to. And, and so I think when you look at what this does well, right, it is absolutely in the pass game and, and rushing the passer um, and the amount of space that it creates for your front to be able to, to get out of the passer, right? So you're talking about generally a defensive lineman that's far more athletic than the guy who's trying to block him. And so if you can get them in space where he's away from his friends and he doesn't have as, uh, as much ability to get help um, and is kind of more like on that island, right, that's going to be something that favors the defensive player because he's just far more athletic and is going to be able to take advantage of that extra space. And so when you spread everything out, and this is why um, teams, I mean, basically every team does this at least some of the time in obvious passing situations, passing right? So, I mean, if you look at yeah. nickel, if you look at nickel defenses across the league, you will see single nine techniques. You will see double nine techniques. They don't run it. I think as often as a Schwartz defense or Washburn when he was still coaching. Um, and maybe sure. now with Kasurik, I, I think we'll talk a little bit about what this does. If you run it on base downs uh, a little bit more here in a bit, but this is not unique to the Niners and it's not something that is, um, not already happening across the NFL. Right. So I think, um, yeah, that's that's where you kind of start as, you know, what it can do for your defensive lineman and, and kind of one of the main strengths that it has. I think when you look at how it can start to affect the rest of the scheme, so one of the things that we talked about uh, quite a bit over the last couple of years, right, in 49ers, like, being a little bit concerned about their ability to get pressure and, and really only having guys that are suited to, to rush from the interior one of the things that we frequently went to is like, okay, well, if you, if you need to generate pressure, 
you're going to have to get a little bit more creative to do that consistently in all likelihood, right? And so that's when you get to things like stunts and blitzes and, and basically ways to scheme up pressure, essentially. You're trying to get somebody free or get somebody an easier run to the quarterback as opposed to just relying on, I'm going to rush for and trust that one of my guys is going to win a one-on-one matchup and get home, right? So I think... That's something that they have done a decent amount of. You know, they they ran stunts at least at a league average rate last season. However, I think when you look at it kind of employing this wide nine a little bit more, especially, uh, you know, getting it to both sides and really kind of spreading that line out more consistently, that doesn't lend itself as well to doing that type of stuff. So I think you're going to see far more just straight four-man pass rushes, um, fewer games and blitzes and stuff like that up front to try to create pressure because now um, not only is the scheme not really great for that and, and how you're aligning your defensive players, but now you've invested in in the horses up front, right, to be able to go and win those one-on-one matchups. So it's a combination of bringing in talented players uh, who are going to be better suited to just win in pass rush situations generally, and now you're just trying to give them uh, as much of an advantage as you can in doing that. Yeah, if you take Cassius Marsh and put him out wide, the wide nine yeah. doesn't really help him all that much. Doesn't do a whole lot for But him. if you've got D Ford or Bosa and you can take them out wide, you are giving them advantages because of how athletic they are and because of the types of players they are. Now, when you're talking about reducing the amount of blitzing a team will do or reducing their reliance on stunts, Schwartz does have a little bit to say about that. He says, quote, the, it, the, the nine technique puts us in a little better position to rush the passer. It's been our philosophy, and I think if you ask offensive coordinators, they will tell you the same thing. If you can get to the quarterback with four, you have a big advantage on defense. If you have to blitz to get pressure, you can be at a disadvantage, and the offense can take advantage of you. When you can rush with four, it allows you to blitz on your own terms, rather than, geez, we've got to get pressure, so we have to blitz. That's not a, end quote, by the way, that's not a mind-altering or earth-shattering, you know, kind of nugget of knowledge he didn't pull that out of the art of war by sun tzu right (laughs) like yes if you can rush with four you are at an advantage because you can drop more into coverage and that's ultimately what tinkering with the techniques is going to hopefully allow the 49ers to do is to give their defenders advantageous matchups so they can rush with four and cover on the back end Exactly. Everybody wants to get home with four. Um, You know, all of the best quarterbacks almost universally are better against the blitz than they are against just a standard four man pass rush. And that's because it's once you get, you know, to playing the top quarterbacks, those guys are so good at diagnosing what you're doing pre-snap and and have a great idea of what you're going to try to get into once they get the ball in their hands that they're going to be able to pick apart those weaknesses that you leave behind when you blitz, when you bring those extra rushers, right? So nearly every good quarterback is better against the blitz than without. So if you can, you know, again, drop seven back into coverage and and put a little bit more emphasis there and trust that if the quarterback does hold on to the ball long enough, right? If you can have good enough coverage back there that give those guys time that they're going to be able to get home on their own. And you're not going to be stuck in this situation where the quarterback has three plus seconds every time he drops back to throw. This was one of the more interesting things that I came across while I was doing was doing a bit of research was that Washburn used to really hate not getting sacks. And he would always leave reports on Schwartz's desk about the number of seconds that a quarterback would get the pass off in. And it was like <laughs> one second, 1.5 second, 1.8 seconds, because he was basically complaining that like the, the quarterback, it, it didn't matter what they did with their rush or their rush plan because the quarterback was getting it out too fast. And, and so what Jim Schwartz started to do, this was back in the 90s and early 2000s, was instead of adhering to the, you know, everyone stays in their rush lane kind of philosophy, he basically said, all right, we're going to try and tailor our rush plan to the quarterback. And back then, if, you're, if we're playing Peyton Manning, we want to flush him out of the pocket because he's not a great quarterback on the move. But if we're facing Michael Vick, then, you know, we want him, if we're going to flush him out of the pocket, we're going to flush him out to his right because he's a left-handed quarterback. And so they began to adjust their rush plan based on quarterback tendencies. Now, that's not just a Schwartz thing. Other defensive coordinators do it. But I'm curious if much like, you know, we're going to talk about Joe Woods, I think, in a, in a future week. But much like how we're hoping Joe Woods maybe brings some of his, his philosophies and kind of tacks them onto the Niners defense, I wonder how much of the general Schwartz philosophy stuff Kasurik is going to bring to the Niners. Because he is a position coach. 
position coaches do have a lot of sway, both in terms of the player packages they roll out, but also in the things they ask their players to do and how they coach those techniques. And so I'm wondering if we're not going to get some more Schwartzian type stuff tacked on to the solid defense just based on the coach that he is and the tree that he's come off of. And it, and it definitely makes sense because, you know, you look at the quarterbacks that they're going to have to face. And, and it's definitely something, even if it wasn't necessarily something that's specific that he's going to bring to the table, right? It needs to be uh, on their minds because you're dealing with guys like Russell Wilson and now Kyler Murray in your division for, for at least four-year games. And then, you know, you look at some of the games, the other games they have this year, like you're going to have those type of quarterbacks who can create out of structure and, and are comfortable leaving the pocket and making plays there. And so having a plan to try to at least flush them to a side that they're less comfortable throwing from, right. And doing anything you can do not to, to allow them to just get off the easy stuff that they're really comfortable with. You know, you, you want to have that in, in mind. So it, it, a lot of times it's not always with those guys too, like being able to get home and get the sacks, right. You do need to like, maintain that rush plan whatever it is you decided you've done to get him to leave the pocket the area you want him to be in so everything has its strengths and its weaknesses and if we're talking about the strengths of the nine technique it can dictate matchups it can help put your players in advantageous positions Uh, and overall i think it can really if you've got a speedier defensive end put him in a position to succeed but the nine technique isn't always something that everyone's like, yeah, let's do it all the time. Because if it were, then again, everybody would do it all the time. And you go back to the 2011 Eagles team. That 2011 Eagles team, eventually Washburn and Castillo got fired in 2012. And one of the reasons that a lot of people in, in Philadelphia didn't like the wide nine was because they felt it made that defense incredibly susceptible to the run. Basically, you, sure, maybe get some advantages in the passing game, but in the process, you completely open up the middle of your defense and you are more susceptible to inside uh, to inside draws, to traps, to counters, to inside zone. Uh, and inside zone is one of the most effective runs in football. Uh, and that's because we talked about increasing the bubble size, right? You're slightly widening your gaps, put a little bit more pressure on your linebacker. And if you don't have a really, really good linebacker who can flow to the ball quickly and get to that running back, all of a sudden, you might leave yourself a little exposed. So what are some of the drawbacks of the nine technique? And is that something that Niners fans should be worried about if the Niners are going to use more of this, especially on base downs? So I think the first thing, right, you're you're looking at two main things in the run game that it can look to take advantage of. One, one we've talked about already uh, a little bit, right, and that's um, kind of your your gaps that are adjacent to the defensive ends. Um, you get a little bit more space a lot of times in that gap, and so it can be more difficult for your linebacker to be able to cover that, um, and and so that can just make you more susceptible to kind of those interior runs, right? The other thing that you can look to do is take advantage of the defensive end who's out there wide and being aggressive in, in terms of getting into the backfield toward the quarterback, right? So it's it's less about them kind of staying patient at the line of scrimmage and reading what's going on and then kind of reacting once they've had that read. They're just straight pinning their ears back going to the quarterback, right? And so when you do that, any any sort of run scheme that can take advantage of an aggressive defender becomes something that is potentially problematic, right, if you don't have answers for it. So you look at run schemes like traps, uh, draw plays, right, that take advantage of guys getting upfield too quickly. Um, even stuff like counters, uh, you know, if you, you counter typically a run that's going to hit wide, and so if you get a defensive end that you're initially leaving unblocked for a puller to come across and he's getting too far in the backfield, you give that puller a much easier angle to make that block, right? So, it, it, And once he does, again, it's a really wide gap that you're creating for the running back to get through. So that kind of stuff uh, is potentially problematic. And then, of course, uh, option runs. And so it can put, if you don't, again, have a plan in place to handle this stuff, uh, it can put that defensive end in a pretty big bind when you look at option stuff. So you leave him unblocked and you read him. Um, it, it's going to be really tough for that guy to kind of defend all of that extra space, right? When you have two run options coming his way. And so you need to have, again, things that you can use um, in your defense to be able to combat that type of stuff. But that's the main way is I think from the run game standpoint that you would look to attack this type of alignment. And when you think of the teams the Niners are going to be facing this year, you think of a team like Seattle, who very much likes to run the ball. 
And so you ran would, more option plays than any team in the NFL last year. Yeah. So not only do they like to run the ball, but they run a lot of option. You're also going to be facing Arizona, who's most certainly probably going to include uh, more option items in their offensive package with Cliff Kingsbury. But then you've got the Ravens on the schedule who of course have a quarterback who's going to, you know, maybe be like the first 3000, 3000 player uh, in NFL history. <laughs> RB one. Yeah. He's, he's a, he's Roger Craig with an arm. You know, he's that <laughs> dual threat guy. Um, that both of us have on a fantasy team this year. Hell yeah, man. Scott Fishbowl, all those extra rushing points that you get. Come on, Lamar. Let's do this. Yeah, I've got Lamar in the Dynasty League that we're in. He's my he's my QB too, man. He's my super flex. I was so close to having Lamar and Cam Newton and some motherfucker ruined it. Well, that's the other quarterback the Niners are going to face Cam this year. Cam Newton, yep. Carolina, right? So the Niners are facing teams that either like to run the ball or like to run a lot of option plays or have a varied set of runs. I mean, Greg Roman's the offensive coordinator for the Ravens. You know the type of running game that he can bring to the table. So is this something that we've got to worry about when we're facing these kinds of teams? I think where I land on this is the defense has to have a plan and they can't just go out and run nine technique willy-nilly because that's part of what they do in their identity, right? They've got to sit there and think, okay, we're not going to run exclusive nine techniques or prefer nine techniques on base downs. If we're running a run heavy team, our run fits have to be tighter. Maybe we've got to put an extra person in the box uh, and you, maybe you get more to the under front so you can get that fifth man on the line of scrimmage as opposed to running that nine technique at all times. Right. So I think the, the main thing though, and this is something to, you know, we've probably spent more time talking about the run game in this episode than we have the entire rest of the off season. So I, I think you have to keep that sort of perspective, right? So uh, in terms of how you like, you start with how often are they running base personnel to begin with on defense? Not that much, right? You're talking about at most of maybe a third of your plays, more likely closer to 20, 25% of your defensive snaps are going to come from that sort of alignment, depending on, you know, the teams that, that you've got on your schedule, of course there. But uh, so it's already a smaller percentage of your overall defensive plays that we're talking about changes here, because when it comes to the, the nickel dime stuff, again, everybody's already doing that. The 49ers were already doing that. That's not really going to be a change kicking your defensive ends out wide in passing situations. Everybody is doing that already. So the major difference is going to come in those base situations, which are less frequent. And then also it's, it's about what is most important to stop as a defense, right? And, and that is by far the passing game. You want to be able to rush the passer and cover, right? And, and anything that you can do defensively to enhance those things or to put that more in focus for your defenders is generally going to be a positive, right? You want to entice them to do the thing that only averages four, maybe five, if they're really good, you know, yards, yards per attempt and not do the thing that averages eight, right? So it, it's kind of a, if, if you're going to get beaten, it comes back to, uh, again, every single defense has some sort of weakness and you're, you're basically deciding, okay, we're going to make this call. It has these strengths, but I'm also giving up this, this stuff. And I know that I'm giving that up. And so what do you want to give up at the end of the day? We don't want to give up those deep passes downfield. You want to give up the four or five yard runs, right? Well, that's the premise of the cover three. And this is why the cover three is so appealing to a lot of teams, because what the cover three says it will not do is give up the big play deep. That's the structure of the back end. But what do they do in the process? They give up short underneath throws and then rally to the football. The concession that someone like Pete Carroll is making is I'm not going to give up the deep explosive play. I'm going to try to keep everything in front of me and I'd rather have them go four or five, six yards a clip because they, they, it's more likely that I more opportunities for them to make a mistake. They have to be really perfect. They have to execute and I don't want them to get a big play. And also we have defensive linemen, right? The other part of that is, is it's only really that much of a weakness if you don't have the players up front that can handle it. And right? this is and, the Niners' strength. I yeah. mean, they've got a huge amount of talent on that defensive line. It's probably the strongest and deepest. It, it is the strongest and deepest position group on uh, on the team. Oh, on the, the yeah, without question on the roster. Maybe yeah, like I running think. backs, but then once you get positional importance into the mix, then it's defensive line. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, you have now... Um, guys that that can actually provide you with a deep like rotation on the interior because you you're no longer going to have to play some of those guys out of position on the outside right and so it's more snaps for Solomon Thomas and Eric Armstead to spend inside 
instead of outside. That's more snaps that you can spell DeForest Buckner and keep him as fresh as possible so that he's at max effectiveness when he is out there. Uh, and he doesn't have to necessarily be that Iron Man that's playing 90 plus percent of the snaps every single game. And so all of that makes you more effective up front, right? And, and so your defensive line is the strength of the team. You're relying on those guys to be able to shed blocks and make plays, and and they are going to need to do that because if they don't do that, then they're screwed anyway, right? Like, that's what you've built your defense on is being strong up front in the defensive line. Like, if that doesn't work, there's no plan to fix that. And, and so I think you have to rely on those guys to do what you brought them in to do and, and trust that they're going to be okay. And, and the other thing is, like, offenses generally, one, aren't that patient, um, not a lot of teams are willing to just sit there and kind of, you know, dink and dunk and take the four yards at a time um, that you may be giving up with that. They, they get impatient. They want to get, move the ball downfield. Um, and, and then you look at mistakes. Yeah. And, and that's when you bait them into mistakes. But then the other side of it too, is now you're hoping with a quarterback back and Jimmy Garoppolo that your offense now should be hopefully very good. Um, you know, you brought in a lot of skill position talent. You have your quarterback there. If you have an offense that's, you know, can be a top 10 offense for you, well, you're going to probably score a good amount of points and you're going to build some leads and teams aren't going to be able to run the ball a lot, right? So you, you've built your team in a way that these are the strengths, right? We want to be strong offensively. Defensively, we're going to uh, be strong on the defensive line. And, and this is kind of asking a good amount from those guys. And, and you got to kind of roll with that. So while this defense can indeed set the edge against outside runs, it can be susceptible to interior runs. And if you've got an option-heavy team, it can really present some problems for a nine technique or a defensive line where you've got a lot of widened gaps and you're putting a little bit of stress on your linebackers to cover some bigger bubbles. But ultimately, I think the question is, can this be an effective change for the 49ers if they do leverage these nine techniques more often than they have in the past because they have run nine techniques before, but I think the key change is going to be running nine technique a little bit more on base down. And, uh, and I think the question for me is, can a, when I look at this alignment and when I look at this, uh, the set of players that we have, do I think there's a player that can benefit from this outside of the obvious, right? Like D Ford or, uh, or Bosa. And I think, I, I think Solomon Thomas can probably benefit from something like this. Cause if you, if you align Solomon Thomas at, the weak side three technique, and then you align someone like D Ford or Bosa out wide in a wide and nine technique. Now you're putting a defensive lineman who is an incredible athlete, who was one of the best athletes in his draft class at his position, one-on-one against a player that is not nearly as athletic as he is. And that space that's created when he's rushing the passer is, I think, something that can help get Solomon Thomas to a place where we all hoped he would be when he was drafted as high as he was. And this really is a make-or-break year for Solomon Thomas. And I think everything that Chris Kosurik is bringing to the table is the type of stuff that you would want to hear if you're Solomon Thomas. Get to the passer first. You know, stop the run on the way there. We're going to create more space for you. We're going to do these things where you can take advantage of your athleticism, where you can play football first and think later. And, and so I think if anyone can benefit from it, I'm looking at him as someone who can benefit from some of the alignment changes. Yeah, definitely. I, I think... Um... I mean, really, everyone, uh, like all of the good players, at least, right, uh, I think are, are going to be guys that can potentially benefit from that extra space and, and potentially, like, the ability to create a little bit more in terms of one-on-one matchups. Um, I think the important thing to remember, though, is that there, I, I just, like, can easily see a situation where we get to the end of this season, Fortnite's pass rush was much better than it was last year, and people give a little bit too much credit to like this alignment change is what fueled that right when in reality you added uh the the best pass rusher in the draft you added uh, a very good pass rusher in d ford you know uh it, via trade and so you've added these good players you've that's allowed you to take some good players that you already had and play them at some more natural positions there was already even if you went and did the exact same thing that you did last year you should already expect improvement from that right you've brought in better players and i think defensively uh schemes are only as good as the players right and i think it's it's uh important to to remember that like those are the guys that deserve the credit when they go out there and play well like 
yes, this I think can have like a, maybe a marginal impact in terms of, again, just set, you're trying to set guys up in the best position to succeed. And that's always going to be a good thing and something that you should strive to do as a coach. Um, but the big thing that's going to fuel any pass rush improvement on this team is the players that they have. I think focusing on the quality of the players is absolutely the right thing to do because you look at the Schwartz teams and the Washburn coach teams, and there's been a long history of their teams being very good at getting to the quarterback and doing so with reduced stunts and reduced blitzes. And so a lot of this gets credited to the nine technique and to some of the things that Jim Schwartz brings to the table. But you look at the personnel that has that has been on these defenses since the Titans. You had Kyle Vandenbosch, and he was a double-digit sack guy. But you also had Albert Hainsworth when he was good, before he went and stomped on people's faces. Uh, and Antoine, do you remember that? Do you remember? Oh, yes, very much so. Golly, I remember when that was like the controversy in football, is Albert Hainsworth, and then he just yeah. fell apart. Um, Antoine Odom, Travis LeBoy, and then in Detroit, of course, you have Ndamukong Sue, Nick Fairley, Cliff Averill, you look at the 2011 Eagles, they had Jason Babin and Trent Cole. Even the 2014 Bills, where Schwartz kind of revitalized his defensive bona fides, had Mario Williams. And with the Eagles, you have Michael Bennett, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham. Everywhere that this scheme has been successful, they've also had very good pass rushers and very good players. And I think that's probably one of the big takeaways from the looking at this, looking at its benefits, and, and watching some of the stuff that this, that this alignment can do is that it can help to give you some benefits for players if they are already skilled. But it is not going to take a below-average pass rusher and all of a sudden make him above average or give him the requisite traits that his body and genetics just could not produce. Yeah, ex- exactly. I think, like, you know, in, in looking at some of those past defensive lines, the thing that I would jump to, like... um you know, Schwartz definitely deserves de- deserves some credit for that, but I wouldn't put that with the nine technique, right? I would put it in his ability to like identify talented defensive linemen and, and develop those guys, right? And his ability as a coach to get the most out of those guys and, and help them become their best players. And, and so I think that's been kind of his defining thing at each, at each stop is he's always been able to find guys that can go out there and play at a very high level and, and turn some of those guys into very good football players. And so I think the fact that the 49ers we know have some of those guys already, right? They've invested a lot on the defensive line. And so giving them small tweaks like this, because that's really what it is, right? It's just you're taking a defensive end that may have lined up a couple feet inside and you're pushing them a couple feet outside, right? That's really all that it is there. So it's it's important not to like blow that too much out of context, um, but it's going to help those good players have a little bit more space and potentially allow them to be more productive. And that's what you're looking for. I do think that Chris Kosurik as a defensive line coach is probably the more impactful addition than necessarily the nine technique as an alignment for the team. Because you you read stories about Chris Kosurik as a coach and you hear things like, you know, he's he takes his players' input into account. He tries to always think about uh, where their best place where their best place to succeed is. He coaches players differently and doesn't treat them all the same. He always tries to effectively, or, or he, because he played and because he you know, has coached defensive line for a long time or for whatever reason, he can, uh, he can identify adjustments in blocking and coach his players accordingly on the fly. These are all things that previous players have said about Chris Kasurik. And I think that's probably going to be more impactful than, than yep. necessarily aligning them out wide or, or something like that. And, and I do think that some of the philosophical changes that he's bringing is probably going to be for the best as well focusing on rushing the passer, focusing on getting to the quarterback from the defensive line. Those are probably going to be more impactful things, but they're all going to get wrapped up in this thing that is the wide nine, um, when in reality, it's probably not going to be that. It's an interesting quirk. It's a neat thing to talk about. Um, But I think how big of a change is this really? Like if that's the core question that we can get to at the end (laughs) of the show, it's not that big of a change in terms of a technique. It's certainly not a defense. And I think it's probably in the order of things that will matter, like third behind quality of players and coaching of the defensive line. Yeah. And and like a a distant third, like, I I think honestly, if you were a casual fan that, you know, you watched every 49er game, but you maybe didn't pay that much attention to like media coverage of it. Like you had heard wide nine mentioned on a broadcast or some shit like that. Right. But like, didn't really get into it too much. Like 
you probably would watch this defense this year and not see too much change, right? And as far as like what it looks like up front for them uh, along the defensive line in the front seven, um, you know, maybe again, you're getting a few more situations in base defense where now suddenly you've got a third linebacker off the ball as opposed to five guys up on the line of scrimmage. And, and that's going to be probably the biggest thing. I don't think that they're going to abandon that completely. So you're still going to see some of that under front and some of that stuff that they've been doing uh, in this defense, that's not going to go away completely. So it's going to be minor things. I think it's going to be a far bigger influence, like you said, from a coaching standpoint and kind of more philosophically and allowing guys to just really focus on being aggressive and, and trying to get to the quarterback, right? And, and anytime you have good players, if you can not weigh them down with having to think about doing all this extra shit and just allow, allow them to go make plays, like that's what you're trying to do on defense. All right, so let's get to a couple of odds events here as we wrap up the show. Uh, a couple things that we just came across as we were doing research uh, because we thought they were fun. Uh, number one, Jeff Fisher tracks how long his team takes to break the huddle. Oh, my God, Jeff because Fisher. Because that's something that you should spend your effort and energy and time the on. The real number one, Jim Washburn, said that Chris Kasurik on the football field is, and I quote, like a raccoon on meth. Um, which is maybe one of the best quotes. That a I've raccoon ever heard. on meth. What is that? I don't even. What know. does that look like to you? I don't know, man. Like just bouncing off trash cans or something. I, I like, guess, but like, are they foraging for food? Or are they just running around? Like, what are no, they doing? No, they're just banging into shit. Did you- <laughs> yeah, like no fucking rhyme or reason. Like, there's no plan there. They're just like bouncing off things. They're ping ponging off of off of metal trash cans. And then they end of practice, they just crash hard oh yeah oh yeah, yeah absolutely mm-hmm. um jim schwartz was apparently regarded as a moneyball guy while he was a defensive court and this is a quote moneyball guy when he was the defensive coordinator with tennessee because he did really unusual things like watch football with aaron schatz author of pro football prospectus oh, which of course eventually turned into football outsiders and now that's the you know the, the outsiders almanac but uh he also would keep a lot of unusual statistics to analyze the game like time to throw what i know man what if somebody kept track of that for every single throw i just happened. i just think it's funny that'd be it, wild right how how our perception of what moneyball is in football because keeping track like watching film with a like a football nerd you're like all of a sudden you're the billy bean of football <laughs> and and now <sighs> you know we've got like full blown papers that are written about statistical analysis i see of, numbers on that paper over there it looks a lot like on base percentage all right <laughs> i don't know what kind of bullshit you're doing over there it looks like on base percentage raccoon on meth man that's uh we've got to find a way to bring that in to either the drinking oh, game God. or a t-shirt or something uh we'll we'll make it work oh i hope so i know but that about does it for this week's edition of the better rivals podcast if you've got any questions about the wide nine you can always hit us up on twitter you can find me at better rivals david where can they find you i'll be at pff underscore david you can always go on niners nation and leave your question in the comments there uh any which way you can get at us whether it be smoke signal carrier pigeon or the internet Feel free to send Preferably the internet. Preferably the internet. Uh, we'll be happy to answer your questions about what it is that, that we've covered. Next week, the scheme month rolls on. Uh, you want to do Joe Woods next week? Uh, and uh, defensive back uh, Always down. Let's talk about some coverage. All right, coverage. Cool. All right, let's do coverage next week. So we'll be back next week, and we'll talk about Joe Woods and some coverage wrinkles that we hope we see from the new position coach. Um, so, well, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for kicking off scheme month. Football's almost here. And uh, if you haven't watched uh, Stranger Things, go do that. Uh, because if you didn't get that chip, or the Chips Ahoy, the Scoops Ahoy. Scoops reference. Ahoy. That's right. That's, that's where it's coming from. So thanks again for tuning in, everyone. And as always, go Niners. <laughs>